Welcome to the Bethel Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Chris Fallaton. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit ibethel.org. Um, I shared a message uh, probably uh, maybe three weeks ago on a Sunday night um, called What's on Your Mind? I don't know how many of you were here for that. And then on Friday night in the conference, the last session of the conference, I shared um, the same message. And I, I really feel like um, this is kind of a message that I'm supposed to like repeat until y'all get it. So if you don't get it this time, then next Sunday I'll be sharing it again. <laughs> um, but why don't you turn to Romans chapter 1. I want to talk about um, transforming your life. And, you know, we often um, talk about a message, you know, we're like, oh, that message transformed my life or that, that, you know, that thing we did transformed my life. And, and typically we mean like it influenced us. But how would you like to leave today with your life totally and completely transformed? Okay, there is actually one formula in the Bible. It's in Romans chapter 12. And we're going to read, uh, we'll start with verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. How many of you know that you're presenting your bodies as a spiritual service of worship? You know, we used to think, like, well, my my flesh is evil and my spirit is good. But how many know that the Bible says that I'm to present my body as a spiritual service of worship? God likes my body. My wife likes my body, and God likes my body. And it says that it's spiritual service of worship. And what I mean by that, how many know the day you received Jesus, everything you did came into the kingdom? And now nothing you do is secular. Everything you do is sacred. I love worship, and you know, we call this a worship service, and I, I like that we call this a worship service, so please don't misunderstand me, but... The problem with calling this a worship service is it seems to indicate that this is a worship service and when you leave here, you're no longer worshiping. And I'd like to propose to you that worship doesn't start when the music starts. That literally the day you received Jesus, you really entered a worship service and you're in the service of worship, whether the music is playing or not, you're actually in worship. And so what the, you know, the, the piano player and the guitar player and you know, the keyboards, all these people, they use those instruments to worship God. But if you're a mechanic, you're using your wrenches to worship God. If you're a, if you're a mom, you're changing diapers, well, maybe that's not too far, but what you do is worship to God. I'm saying the instruments of worship are what you're doing with your hands. You literally can encounter God at the same level at home you know, people say, don't try this at home. Like, try this at home. And the challenge I have is that if we call this a worship service, which, I, again, I said I don't have a problem with it, it sometimes creates a dualistic kind of mentality where we anticipate that God will touch me here, so he does. But then I don't anticipate he's going to touch me at the same level when I'm someplace else. And so uh, for about three years, um, you probably didn't notice, but I totally stopped teaching on worship for about three years because I was trying to work out I don't have a problem with calling this worship. I just have a problem that nothing else is. I'm back to teaching on worship, but I want to put it in the context that this is not the worship service. This is a service where we gather to worship together, but every day, everything we do is actually worship to God because God loves my body, and he said, your body is actually worship to God. That's a good word right there. I'm right about that. 
But actually, I want to talk about verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Don't be, trans, don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How many of you have ever felt stuck before? How many of you are not going to raise your hand? Like, part of, I don't tell people what I'm thinking. How many of you have ever wanted to change any part of your life? Don't be conformed, but be transformed. How do I get transformed? By the renewing of my mind. In other words, I can't change my life, but if I change my mind, if I change my thoughts, God will change my life. How do I change my life? This morning, I'm going to teach you how to change your life. You can't change your life, but if you change your thoughts, God will change your life. Look at this. Don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let me give you verse uh, Matthew chapter 17. Listen to this. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain. How many know if you brought Ringo, he would have had a band? And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. He was transfigured. That word transfigured in verse 2, and Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. That word transfigured is the identical word transformed. In Romans 2, don't be conformed, but be transformed. That word transformed is the word transfigured. Where Jesus shone, his face shone like the sun, and his garments were white. That word is the word, don't be conformed, but be transfigured. How many of you understand that if you change the way you think, if you renew your mind with the, and you start to think like God, you can't change the way you live, you can't change the thing about your life, but if you change the way you think, you can be transfigured. There's a principle called the principle of first mention, and here's what it says. It says, the first time you hear about a subject, it lays a foundation for a way of thinking. It becomes the lens in which you view that subject from then on. Let me read it one more time. The first time you hear about a subject, it lays a foundation for the way you view that subject. From that place on, you will view that subject through that lens that you were taught first. So uh, when we do moral revolution conferences, you know, where we teach young people about their sexuality, um, I remember about, it's been probably a couple years ago, we did a moral revolution conference and um, I think uh, Havla had this idea of meeting with the parents and it's in kind of a breakout session. And I taught the parents this principle of first mention and related it to their children's sexuality. And it goes like this. The first time your children hear about a subject, that, that message to them, that first message isn't just information. It actually becomes a lens in which they view that subject and they view everything after Everything they hear after the first time, they view it through that lens and they either discard it or embrace it depending on what they learn first. So in other words, if you teach your children about sexuality first and then they go to the school system and at 14 or 15, the school system teaches them that homosexuality and bisexuality and all this stuff is normal, they will look, they will view that through the lens of the morality that their parents taught them. Because it isn't just true, it's a filter. I'm saying the first time you, you hear something, it doesn't just lay a truth as a foundation, it lays truth as a filter. Are you with me? In which you embrace or reject 
the next thing you hear about that same subject. Now, on the other hand, it's what I'm sharing with the parents. On the other hand, if you, do, if you teach your children late, in other words, they hear about, you know, your, your, your boy hears about it from little Johnny, about his sexuality or from the school system, and at 15, you give them the talk. How many understand they are weighing the talk through the filter of what little Johnny taught them? And what I'm getting at is this. If we lay a foundation in our minds and we begin to renew our mind, and we say, and, and we begin to cause the filter in which we receive information to be God's word. Then when I hear something, I weigh it by what I already know. Here we go. I begin to not just lay a foundation of truth, I lay a filter of truth. So when other stuff tries to get through that filter, it can't get through because I laid a filter of truth and that filter wasn't just a filter, it's a foundation. And that foundation isn't just a foundation, it's a filter. Are you with me? Ephesians chapter four, verse 21. You could turn there if you'd like. Paul said, I I love the book of Ephesians. Anybody else love the book of Ephesians? It's my second favorite book in the Bible next to Hezekiah. (laughs) If indeed you've heard him, speaking of Jesus, and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your old, no, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside your old self, you lay aside your old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with lust of deceit, and that you renew, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Everybody say, and be renewed, in the spirit of your mind. And you put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Okay, think about this. When you receive Jesus Christ, how many understand that God killed the old man? You are not in a war with your old man because the old man's dead. In fact, uh, Ephesians chapter 6 says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they're divinely powerful for the destruction of the fortress. How many of you know you don't have weapons for your old man? 2 Corinthians says um, something powerful. You should read it. (laughs) The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of the flesh, but they're mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. My point is this, and the Bible's point is this. When I receive Jesus, I'm not in a war with my old man. My old man's dead. The cross was for the old man, not for the new man. But here's the challenge. I have to take off the old man. You know, a lot of times, you know, women, they wear these furs, dead things. Some people put on their old man like a fur. They're like wearing him around and wondering why they can't change the way they think. You got to let the old man, you have to take off the old man and put on the new man. The old man's dead. Like, don't go to the graveyard and raise the dead. Don't necromance. Don't talk to the dead. Like, don't bring, you know, bring flowers, but don't bring a shovel. (laughs) Thank you, Chris, for that. How do I change my life? I change the way I think. How do I change the way I think? I begin to take off the old man. I go, I don't think like that anymore. It's not beautiful on me. It doesn't look good on me. It's not becoming of you. Thank you. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. 
Sometimes you got to dump your old friends. I said I wasn't going to say it that way in streaming, but I, I just did. <laughs> Listen, you, you know, I'm saying this for our guests because our people know this. Like, we should touch everybody. And there isn't anybody in here that's too good or too big to touch the most hurting, broken person. But ministering to people and inviting people in to influence you is two totally separate things. And sometimes if you want to change the way you think, you got to bring people in who actually think healthy thoughts. There's something about this whole thing. I know it's not in the Bible, but it ought to be a Proverb 32. <laughs> Misery loves company. And the truth is, is that if you want to change the way you think, you got to get away from miserable people influencing you. And the challenge is, is that when you're miserable, it's just nature, it's natural to want to bring in other people who are suffering too. It kind of makes you feel better. It's like we're all suffering. You can't find a job. You don't want to talk to someone who has a good job. You want to talk to the 3% who can't find a job. You know, it's the president's fault. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to hear 95% of the people are working. But what you need to hear is when you're suffering is 95% of the people are working. When you're broke, the hardest people to be around are people, rich people. <laughs> okay. Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I'm simply trying to say, if you want to change the way you think, you hang around people who think like you want to think, not like you think. You know, when God, when you're trying to change your thoughts, life and you're like God let's just use money because it's so easy to illustrate and it offends people and Jesus talked more about money than anything and I'm really don't, not talking about money but it's so easy to illustrate just say you're broke and, you're, and you've been broke your whole life your, your mother was broke your grandfather was broke your grandmother's broke you just broke and you're praying God I'm broke I'm so tired of being broke I don't want to be broke anymore and the next thing that happened is God sends Johnny Rich he has the car you want, the house you love. Now, I understand lusting, you know, the boastful. I understand. You know, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm just trying to demonstrate a principle. When you pray for wealth, you say, God, I want to be delivered from this. God sends you Johnny who has everything you want. If you have a poverty spirit, you're jealous of Johnny and you don't receive anything from Johnny. But if you realize that you cannot become what you haven't seen or heard, and the reason why Johnny sent... The reason why God sent Johnny into your life was to show you what's possible. So when you pray, you're like, God, deliver me from poverty. He sends you Johnny, the rich guy. And you're like, God, you make me feel miserable. And God's like, no, I was trying to show you what's possible. Because I'm no respecter of persons. And if I did it for him, I'll do it for you. But you can't become what you haven't seen or heard. And oftentimes God sends the answer in the picture of something he wants to do in our life. And we're jealous of it instead of embracing it. I mean, you know, you were made like Jesus, but until you see him, you can't become like him. John, 1 John 4, when we see him, we become like him. I can't become what I haven't seen or heard. So when I'm praying for a change, God sends me a picture of a change. He sends me people who have what I want, not so I, not so I could take it from them, but so I can get it from him. If I want to change my life, I have to change my thinking. If I want to change my thinking, I have to hang around with people who are thinking right. 
Thank you, Chris, for that good word. Mark chapter 4, I really would like you to turn there. I want you to see this. Mark chapter 4, verse 24. Jesus was saying to them, listen to this, take care what you listen to. Everybody say, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given to you besides. Okay, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it'll be measured to you, and more will be given to you besides. Now, I've heard people preach on that verse for many different reasons, and they've used it as uh, a foundation for that God measures back to us what we give, and it's all good. But the actual text says, be careful what you listen to, right? Then the measurement, in other words, what is Jesus actually talking about? Be careful what you listen to by your measure, by your measure of what? By a measure of what you listen to, more will be given to you, right? Let me see if I get it right here. By the standard of your measure, it'll be measured to you and more besides. Some years ago, um, some of our, I have three PAs, not because I'm busy, but because I'm dysfunctional. <laughs> and they're really, t- I have two of my three PAs are really techie, like they like technology. I, I don't actually, like I have a virus. <laughs> I don't know how, but my computers catch it. It's some really weird deal. Too long of a story for this morning. But, so we're, you know, I, I, I wake up every day with this need to change the world. Does anyone else have that? A few of you. God bless you, brother. Both of us were. (laughs) Like, I want to change the world. And so my my staff, I kind of drive my staff crazy because I'm a little bit OCD about it. I'm like, I was born to change the world. Like, you've said that six times in this meeting. I'm so sorry. It's all I can think about. I was born to change the world. So I think it was around four years ago, one of my PAs said, well, if you want to change the world, you know, the church attendance is decreasing. And people are getting their belief system from the internet. I'm like, really? They're like, yeah, you should get on the internet. Of which, you know, I didn't, I couldn't, I didn't even know how to Google stuff about five years ago. So, so they set up a Facebook page, and I'm like, oh, at first, you know, I was like, I was, you know, you're kind of afraid of what you don't understand. So I put some stuff up there. I started posting some stuff. Actually, they were posting this stuff for me at first. I couldn't figure out how to get the buttons to work. <laughs> so they were posting stuff, and people were commenting. And like within about, I think it was like three months, they go, you have 5,000 people following you. I'm like, is that good or bad? They're like, no, that's good. Like, 5,000 people are actually listening to what you have to say. I'm like, that's cool. How do I get more? They're like, well, you have to do it better. <laughs> so literally, I know it sounds funny, but Kathy can tell you, that's literally how it happened. And then someone opened a Twitter page for me. I didn't even know what Twitter is. They're like, oh, I love your Twitter posts. I'm like, I'm on Twitter? And then Jim Johnson opened the uh, Instagram account while I sat there and watched her. She's like, you got to be on Instagram. People don't read those things. They look at pictures. <laughs> so that's how I got on Instagram. Seriously, that's how it happened. So you know, I started posting and, and I started getting better at it and better at it. And like, wow, people are actually watching. This is kind of cool. And they, they feed back. And the Facebook people, they're, they're very evil, but, they're, but Twitter people are very nice. <laughs> Some people on Facebook, you know what I mean? Like, they just like... So that went along for a while, and I did a post like a year ago. This has been a while ago. I did a post that 60, it reached 60 million people. 
I'm like, 60 million people. How much do you have to travel to touch 60 million people? I'm like, this is, I'm going to change the world. You know, and I'm just thinking like, how, we have to go where people are at. We have to, we have to teach the world. And if the world isn't going to come here, then we have to figure out where they're going to get fed. Anyway, enough of that. But so about two years ago, they said, I guess it's actually about maybe, uh, yeah, a little less than two years ago. I said, hey, is there some, like, do they, is there people who know how to do this really well that could help us? They're like, yeah, they have internet consultants. I'm like, a consultant for internet. That's awesome. Let's get one. So we got an internet consultant and he taught us some stuff and, we, and, and it made it better. I'm like, is there someone better than him? Like six months ago. They're like, yeah, there's this guy. He's really good. Silicon Valley. Charge you a thousand dollars and teach you how to touch more people. I'm like, thousand dollars to touch more people. I'm like, well, that's awesome. So we're in the room and he's, he's, this guy is doing this session, this, uh, this like one day seminar for our team. I'm, I'm in there with him. And he's teaching us about the internet. Now, this is probably really simple. You probably know this. You probably knew it five years ago. I just learned it, so it feels really awesome. (laughs) He said the internet has an algorithm, which means, hang on. I knew it just one second ago, but (laughs) dang, I hate when that happens. Automatic reasoning. It has automated, automated reasoning automated reasoning. I'm like, oh, I'm listening to him and he's teaching us. And he said, when you do something on the internet, anything, it remembers it. So for instance, when you buy something from Amazon, the internet remembers what you bought and how many times you bought it. So let's say you're into fishing. You buy a fishing reel. It doesn't just know you bought a fishing reel. If you bought a deep sea fishing reel, it goes deep sea fishing. And then if you get on Jason's Instagram post, because he posts a bunch of stuff about fishing, it goes, oh, you get on a guy's post who posts about fishing. And then it just follows your patterns where you purchase, where you interact, the Facebook posts, the, the interactions that you have with people. It, it remembers all of that. And then if I'm in the fishing pole business and I say, I want to sell fishing poles, I can pay a marketing, peop- marketing people who understand the internet and they can actually send a message to just the people who fish. Or if I go, I want to just, I actually want to, I only sell deep sea fishing poles. Only give me people who do deep sea fishing. It will actually filter down and send messages only to people who do deep sea fishing. In other words, you know those little posts that pop up when you're on the internet? Those posts are actually specifically designed for you. So in other words, What you love, like what you listen to, your measurement of listening on the internet is measured back to you and more is given to you besides. So if you get on the internet and you look at porn, if you look at porn, if you look at child porn, guess what comes to you? Messages about porn. You're like, oh, they send me all these messages about porn. I don't know why I get them. You get them because you clicked on the sites. And by your measure, it'll be measured to you and more than you asked for. I like to suggest to you that the spirit world is identical. That it has automated reasoning. And that what you listen to, be careful what you listen to. How many know you can't help what you hear, but you can always help what you listen to? 
Be careful what you listen to because by your measure, it'll be measured to you and more besides. Have you ever been in a, had a problem with somebody in your life? And they come to you. Have you ever had this happen? They come to you and instead of saying, I have this problem with you, they go, I have this problem with you and I'm not alone. Jane and Henry and Kathy and, and Jester and, 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 you know, they all, we all have this problem with you. Typically, they don't give their names. They're like, and some other people. A whole lot of other people don't like you either. How many of you have ever experienced that? You know why? Because when they got bitter with you, they began to listen. They said, I will listen to people, other people who are bitter. And you know what happens? That in the spirit world, bitterness attracts bitterness. We're in a church of 8,000 people. I've been here for 18 years. It's so funny how a bitter person will come into church and within a month, in an 8,000-member church, they will find almost all the other bitter people. You know why? Because it's magnetic. What you listen to, you attract. Did you hear what I said? What you listen to, you actually attract and more besides. So guess what you have to do if you want to change your life? You have to change the way you think. How do I change the way I think? I change my friends. I said my friends, not the people I reach out to. And you know who else I change? You know what else I change? What I listen to. If I've been a person who's been bitter and I listen to bitterness, I go, I'm not listening to that anymore. Someone's Joe comes to me and goes, I got this problem with pastor. I go, have you talked to pastor? No, then I don't know why you're talking to me. And what I do is I begin to filter out those people. I tell the Holy Spirit internet, I no longer listen to that stuff. Don't send me those ads. And I begin to change the culture. Are you with me? I begin to change the culture around me so I can change the culture in me because I'm not hanging out with fools. I, I like to sleep on Saturdays. Anybody else have a day when you just like try to rest? Like, you know that keep the Sabbath is the fourth commandment before thou shalt not kill? <laughs> Maybe if you kept the Sabbath, you wouldn't be killing people. That just came to me. I'm not sure if that was God or not. And so I, I, I just, in the last few years, I've just tried, like, I try, if I'm home on Saturday, I try to sleep as long as I can. Like, I usually get up three times and go to the restroom and try to sleep. My goal's till 9.30 or 10. Then I get out of the, the bed and I get in our clawfoot bathtub. I know, I'm the rich man. Some of you are like, I wish I had a claw bathtub. See, you can't see, you can't become what you haven't seen or heard. <laughs> now you can have a clawfoot bathtub. Just picture it without me in it. I'm glad I'm not an Old Testament prophet. You know the Old Testament prophets, every time God came on them, they ripped their clothes off. <laughs> the man must have a word. <laughs> He's naked. And several months ago, it was during the winter, I was laying in the bathtub on a Saturday doing what I love to do. I love to just sit in the bathtub and soak. And I, you know, you, you, have, you, you just get your little toe and you put it up there. When the water gets cold, you turn it back on and make it hot. And, and I was in there for like two hours, man. I looked like a prune. I'm like, this is what I'm going to look like 20 years from now. 
and I have this thought, and it's, this isn't deep, you know, Bill's deep, right? <laughs> I was thinking, you know, you ever, like, Bill's like Moses. <laughs> have you ever thought about that? He's like Moses. Bill, you know, I don't know. I prayed for God. I wanted to have a great relationship, and he sent me Moses. <laughs> Who could be like Moses? He just stands here. And he shares, you know, one, one line from the Bible, and people are like, where did he get that? From the Bible. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so I'm laying in the bathtub, and I have this thought. Now, it isn't Bill Deep. This isn't Bill Deep. This is simple. I think, if I don't turn on this water and heat it up, how cold will it get? <laughs> and I'm laying there thinking, like, how cold will this water get if I don't turn it on and heat it up? And then I say to myself, I know, because I'm a Christian. It will get 70 degrees. You know why I know it'll get 70 degrees? Because I set the thermostat on the wall for 70 degrees before I got in the tub. And there's an ecosystem that keeps the room at 70 degrees, and the water will get the temperature of the room. It won't get 30 degrees, and it won't get 100 degrees. You know why? Because there's an ecosystem that perpetuates 70 degrees. And then I said to myself, self, you are so smart. <laughs> I realized that what you cultivate dominates. Think about this. This is so simple, but it actually is profound. It's not that 30 degrees or 70 degrees is a dominant temperature. It's what I cultivate dominates. How many understand good is more powerful than evil? Unless I cultivate evil. Because if I cultivate evil, not because evil in its nature is more powerful, but what I cultivate will dominate. If I cultivate anxious thoughts, not because fear is more powerful than love, but whatever I cultivate becomes more powerful, not because in its very nature it's more powerful, but what I cultivate dominates. I want to change my life. Okay, you have to change your mind. See, most of us, our thoughts, our mind tells us what to think, and we become prisoners of our thoughts. And I'd like to present to you the fact that your spirit can tell your mind what to think. I'm saying, you are not powerless against your thoughts. You can tell your mind, we won't be thinking like that today, we'll be thinking like this. And what I'm getting at is, if you want to change your life, you can't. But you can change your thoughts. And if you change your thoughts, he'll transform you. He'll transfigure your life. What do I do? What can I do? You can change your thoughts. Your thoughts don't manage you. You manage your thoughts. You know, most of us spend somewhere between a half an hour and an hour getting ready for work. I mean, we are obsessed with how we look on the outside. What would happen if we took 10 minutes to cultivate what's going on in the inside? What would happen if... You did something like Jay's got these different kind of exercises he gives people, he counsels. I'm beginning to use some of them. Like, if you want to change your thoughts 
And you want to transform your life. We start over. If you want to transform your life, you have to change your thoughts. How do I change my thoughts? Well, how about this? How about if you write on the mirror in the morning the truth about the place where you struggle? In other words, I would suggest to you that any place you really struggle in any regular basis is based in a lie. So you go, what is the truth? You write it on the mirror. So you get up in the morning, and ladies, while you're painting your face, you're reading, I was born to change the world. I am beautiful. I am powerful. I am lovely. I am loved. Are you, are you with me? You're, you're, you're reading the truth. You're questioning reality. You're reading the truth. You're repeating it over yourself. And while you're beautifying yourself on the outside, you are powerfulizing yourself. <laughs> That's a new word. On the inside. <laughs> Bet you Bill didn't think of that. See, the grass isn't greener on the other side of the fence. The grass is greener on the side of the fence that you water. And if you look over your neighbor's fence and the grass is greener over there, don't be jealous of your neighbor. Don't want his house. Ask him how he gets the grass green and learn. See, you can be a thermostat or you can be a thermometer. Revelation 3, verse 15, Jesus said, you know this one well, I know your deeds, you're neither hot or cold. I wish you were hot or cold. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. How do you understand that, that lukewarm is the proverbial, I'm the temperature of the room. <laughs> I'm reflecting the culture. It takes energy to be hot. It takes energy to be cold. It doesn't take anything to be the temperature of the room. When in the temperature of the room, I'm a thermometer. I always feel powerless because everyone else, I am a prisoner of everyone else's ecosystem that they cultivated, and it's dominating me. But what I'm getting at is this, that if I say, I'm going to change my life because I'm going to change my thoughts, and when I change my thoughts, he's going to change my life. I'm no longer a thermostat measuring the temperature of the room. I come as a, I'm sorry, a thermometer measuring the temperature of the room. I'm a thermostat. I decide what, cult, what I'm cultivating, and what I'm cultivating is going to dominate. And no longer am I powerless and I feel like a pauper, a prisoner, a slave because everybody, oh, the world's so bad. And I'm complaining. I spend all my time complaining about all the other people who are cultivating a culture I don't want, but I reflect. Thank you, Chris. Forget it. Brought my own encouragement. <laughs> we got to cultivate hope. How many understand hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. What does that mean? I used to think it meant, you know, when I hope for, we talked about poverty. When I hope for prosperity and it doesn't come, I get sick. That's not true. It's when hope is deferred, not what I hope for is deferred. In other words, when my hope, I lose my hope, then my heart gets sick. I'm not sick when I didn't get what I hoped for. I get sick when I stop hoping. There's a great experiment that was done in 1950 by Kurt Witter, Witt, uh, Richer, a Harvard graduate, and John, at Ho John Hopkins, I'm sorry, and a John Hopkins scientist. Let me read it to you. They did a series of experiments to test how long rats could swim in high-sided buckets of circulating water before the drowning. I put that on Facebook. <laughs> you cannot believe how many people missed the whole point and they were rooting for the rats, <laughs> which we catch with traps. By the way, it is the second mouse that gets the cheese. <laughs> Dr. Richard 
uh, found that under normal circumstance, a rat could swim for an average of 15 minutes before giving up and sinking. However, if he rescued the rats just before drowning, dried them off, and let them rest briefly, and then put them back in the same bucket of circulating water, the rats could swim for an average of 60 hours. Yes, 60 hours. If a rat was temporarily saved, it would survive 240 times longer than if it was, temp- than it was, than if it was not temporarily saved. This makes no sense. How could these rats swim so much longer during the second session, especially just after swimming as long as possible to stay alive during the first session? Dr. Whitaker concluded that the rats were able to swim longer because they were given hope. A better conclusion is, is that the rats were able to swim longer because they were given energy through hope. The rats had a clear picture of what being saved looked like, therefore they kept swimming. See, what I'm getting at is this, remember? You can't become what you haven't seen or heard. But when you suddenly realize, I could be rescued, everything changes for you, and diligence and perseverance come into your life. And you begin to go, I may not be saved today. I may not be saved tomorrow. I may not be rescued the next day, but I'm going to be rescued. I've been rescued before. I've seen other people rescued, and I know I'm going to be rescued. And see, you don't have to be the one who got rescued. You can connect to other rats who were rescued. (laughs) Some things sound so good when you think them, and then when you say them, they just... It's important if we want to change our life, we can't. But we can change our thoughts. How do we change our thoughts? Well, we proactively begin to question reality. Wherever there's a lie, and how many of you know that whenever I have a thought in my mind that doesn't inspire hope, it's always rooted in a lie. I go, I don't receive that. And I begin to tell my spirit, you lead us. And I begin to tell my mind, no, we won't be thinking about that anymore. And when people that normally are in my life perpetuate that garbage in my life, I go, I'm sorry, I'm kind of busy. I'm busy changing my thoughts here because God's changing my life, so I can't actually hang out with you. I have to hang out with the rats that have been saved before. (laughs) It's not what you want in life that changes you. I want to change. I mean, uh, literally 800 people raised their hand when I said, how'd you like to change your life? A place, some, something in your life. Almost everyone in the room raised their hands. And then the ones who didn't, we know their issues. <laughs> I want to change. It doesn't matter that you want to change. You'll never change wanting to change. You're only change willing to change. It's not what I want, but what I will that makes a difference in my life. I can want to go to heaven, but if I don't will to go to heaven, whosoever, it doesn't say whosoever want, it says whosoever will. How many understand it's not what I want that changes my life, it's what I will that changes my life. What I be determine, when I determine by my will. Now, I don't feel like it. You know what? You not feeling like it will not deter you. You not willing will deter you. You not feeling like it doesn't make any difference. And by the way, I'd like to suggest that one of the ways you build character is not feel like it and do the right thing anyway. In fact, I'd propose that God planted two trees in the garden so that you would learn how to build character. So I would learn how to build character. God planted a good tree and a bad tree in the garden. The devil didn't plant the second tree. He convinced Adam to eat it, Eve to eat it, but he didn't plant it. God planted it. Why would God plant a bad tree in the garden? Do you ever think of that? 
Why would God let the devil be on the earth? Somebody's like, I don't know. <laughs> Bad directions? Ended up on the wrong planet? No, I'm saying the reason why God put a good tree and a bad tree is because the way you build character is to want the bad tree and resist it. And when you resist the bad tree, what happens? It's called, I build character. See, did you notice that the bad tree, the tree you're not supposed to eat, is, looks good for, by the eyes? It looks, it tastes good. It's not, it doesn't taste evil. It doesn't look evil. It's just not, I'm just not supposed to eat it. What I'm getting at is this. How many understand that temptation's called normal? Jesus was tempted in every way except without sin. How many know Jesus was tempted in every way so he could be the savior of everybody? You weren't tempted in every way. You were just tempted in some ways. What's this have to do with thinking? When I'm tempted and I don't do it, how many understand that I resist? It's called resist temptation. My mom was in the hospital um, last year for about, I think about three months. Um, She had cancer. They operated on a lung. She got the cancer was they, they cured the cancer with obviously the, the help of prayer. And, um, but three months laying in bed, when they got her out of bed, she couldn't walk. Now, she, her, she had lung cancer, so it didn't affect her muscles at all. But the reason she couldn't walk is because she hadn't used her muscles for three months. So she went from three months of the hospital to two months of rehab so that she could literally learn how to walk. You know how they taught her to walk? They put her in a walker. And they walked her around. You know why? Because the resistance from gravity and your weight being on you and moving your legs against that gravity is actually what rebuilds your muscles. You know what builds your character muscles? Resisting temptation. I am tempted and I go, there's something wrong with me. I'm tempted. No, that's called good. I'm not saying temptation's good. I'm saying when I resist temptation, and I choose the good tree, every time I do that, I'm building character muscles, and I'm changing the way I think. Some of you think, I'm in a terrible situation. I'm so tempted. No, you're about to build character muscle. How do I do it? I really want that thing. It doesn't matter what you want. It only matters what you will. I want the second tree. So? I want this woman. So? I want to do this thing. That doesn't matter what you want. It only matters what you will. And when you want the wrong thing and will the right thing, that's called righteousness. Sometimes you think something's going wrong and God goes, no, I'm building a man. I'm building a woman. And I go through these times when I feel like, I feel like I want to do the wrong thing. And I'm like, something's wrong with you. I'm like, no, something's right with you. God's about to give you a will to do the right thing. And as soon as you do that, you begin to build your way out of a life of poverty and powerlessness Because every time you will the right thing when you want the wrong one. Did you hear what I said? Every time you will the right thing when you want the wrong one, you build character muscle and you are building a man, a woman of God. Because people of God get tempted by the wrong thing, but they will the right one. There's nothing wrong with you because you want the wrong thing. There's only something wrong when you will the wrong thing. Because I am not the temptations I resist. I'm only the virtues I'm embracing. That's a good word. Why don't you stand and let me pray for y'all. Put your hand on your heart. 
Say this. I was born to be a person of God. I am deeply loved. I'm the bride of Christ. I am not powerless. I'm no longer a sinner. Because Jesus saved me. And he transformed me. And he wants to transfigure me into the likeness of Jesus. So I am powerful. I am loved. I am not lonely. The Father's always with me. And he gives me the desires of my heart. So today, I set my mind on the things above. The things Jesus tells me about my life and the things that I love and the people I love. And I choose today to only listen to the things that are from above. And I reject lies and facts that don't line up with the truth of God. In Jesus' name, I'll change my thoughts and He will change my life. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Be sure to visit Bethel.tv for other exciting new content from Bethel Church.